Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. We have been experiencing a uh, tremendous heat wave in the Northeast here, but luckily, where the ice is cold, the Devils, you know, they can get back to practice under their new coach. We talked about that last week. But also, despite the fact that they can hit the ice, there's still some players that are very much on the hot seat. Do you like what I did there, John? You did very well, Dan. I would give you a gold star if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. And oh, yeah, we weren't in different states. That's right. That's right. So, of course, with me is John Fisher. And today we're going to talk about, you know, you know originally we recorded an episode talking about potential unrestricted free agents that the Devils could use to address some of their gaps uh, this offseason. And unfortunately, there are some technical difficulties with that one. But we're going to readdress that topic once we have a clearer picture of uh, which players will be participating in the actual playoffs and which ones will have their season ended by the play-in round. So there's a lot of other factors that we're going to wait for. And instead, we'll focus internally on our New Jersey Devils because there's a lot of players that are uh, up for contract renewals uh, as early as this offseason and with the new stipulation in the CBA that kind of is meant to counter whatever, um, you know, contractual issues may have come up because of the stoppage players that have their contracts expiring a year from now are also allowed to um, sign longer term deals and so there's a lot of relevant players for the new jersey devils but let's start with just the unrestricted free agents that the devils potentially could lose and probably will let walk this offseason yeah just like last offseason You know, the UFA class coming out of New Jersey wasn't very pretty, and it still isn't very pretty since it's a lot of fringe players and minor leaguers among the bunch. The biggest name among them is arguably Kevin Rooney, coming off his one-way contract of last season of 700K, meaning he was a minimum salary player in the NHL. I fully anticipate the Devils to let him walk because Kevin Rooney does not add any particular value to the Devils that nobody else in Binghamton could provide. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, he's 27 Dandy. years old, and yep. they they have such a pipeline of young players that for the role that he plays, they could plug and play a lot of the players in Binghamton that were just starting to have uh, good turnarounds before everything came to a close. So I don't think there's any real major need to retain him. So let's move to the defense where we see yep. two players listed there, but uh, with slightly different conditions. Right. So Frederick Clayson, he's 27. Um He's a pending UFA. The Devils got him in the Vatnin deal. He was basically a throw-in defenseman, spare part, played a couple games. Let him walk. There's no reason (laughs) to keep Clayson. You know, he's not really that much better than, you know, guys like Josh Jacobs or Colton White. And honestly, neither of those two guys I just mentioned have uh, real NHL upsides, in my opinion. So let him walk. Well, ideally, who would we... Who we'd want to see here is, you know, Ty Smith and Kevin Ball. Absolutely. So we want those guys to be taking these kinds of roles. There's no there's no more reason to be paying players like Freddie Clayson and our next player who actually had a decent showing with in his audition with the Devils, but I don't think he fits necessarily into the long term plan, so he's probably not going to be part of the team moving forward either. But it's our favorite defenseman who's named after half of a state, Dakota Mermis. Yeah, Dakota Mermis, you know, I'm not going to say he pulled a, and I'm kind of dating myself with these two references, a Sean Brown (laughs) or a Ray Giroux, you know, where he just went off for like eight games and that was pretty much it in terms of an NHL career. He was okay. He was just fine. Um, But again, Mermis was initially signed just to be veteran help for Binghamton, and that's exactly what he provided. 
and he was just called up out of necessity. He's a group six free unrestricted free agent. So he what that means is he's in that class where, yes, he's 26, but he hasn't played enough NHL games to stay in restricted free agency. So per the CBA, he can now talk to whomever he wants. So if if they want to talk to Dakota to say, hey, look, do you want to stick around in Binghamton? And maybe you get a couple call ups here and there, maybe. But if I were him, I probably if, if I've got real desires on making it to the NHL, I probably would hit the market. Mm hmm. So from the unrestricted free agent situation on the Devils currently, there's only one other player that uh, in the organization that won't have a contract with the Devils, and that's Brian Strait. He was on season opening injured reserve, and I don't, you know, he's a veteran presence in Binghamton, but I don't think there's any. I don't. I think if they do sign him, it'll only be for Binghamton. He really is inconsequential to the um, NHL picture of this. Yeah, he may, and that's the thing I just want to emphasize for everybody is that for some of these veteran AHL players you do need to give them an NHL contract just to like convince them to sign with your team even they understand they'll be in the AHL for the most part but the NHL contract gives them some more security it gives them a big bump in pay if they do play any NHL games so you might see straight or even Mermis re-signed to another NHL deal but with the understanding that they're not going to be NHL players so that's fine but yeah straight's injury was significant enough that and the fact he's 32, you know, I, I imagine that with Binghamton, if they're going to look for veteran help, and they probably will, given who else is coming out of contract for them, you know, they're going to probably look elsewhere. And this is going to sound a little cruel, but I'm just going to keep it real for everybody. There's always players available like that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no shortage of veterans looking for a job in the AHL to be that tweener or be that fill-in guy, or even just to be in the AHL locker room to tell the younger players, look, this is how we do business in professional hockey in North America. Get used to it. Mm-hmm. And um, the interesting thing to note about next year as well is that you know they're losing a couple of these players to unrestricted free agency, and it's also the last year that they'll have to be paying their buyout for Mike Camilleri. So there's even more potential room that we might not see immediately manifested in you know what their payroll looks like but there's going to be some more space opening up which is always good news for the devils and with that in mind let's move to the restricted free agents and there's a few players that are eligible for the offer sheets which is a concept that we discussed yesterday i you know seeing what we've seen from these players i don't think they're very likely to receive one but the Devils should be able to match pretty much anything that comes their way for anyone that they find valuable which to me looking at this list of rfas there's two names in particular that very very much stick out absolutely and they're they are the two guys that any team probably would offer sheet for and the devils would probably as you said go out of their way to match them because these two guys are potentially too important for the short-term future of this team to give away just for a bunch of picks and those players are winger jesper brat and goaltender Mackenzie Blackwood. Mm-hmm. I don't think I need to explain why Blackwood is important, as he's the only <laughs> goaltender at an NHL level in the organization right now. Yeah. He's going to stay as a devil. The question is going to be for how long and how much will his next contract be? Mm-hmm. And it's 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 an interesting discussion with him because he is very clearly established as the number one goaltender of this team moving forward, but he did have some consistency issues at the start of the last two seasons before writing the ship and becoming one of the better goaltenders in the entire Eastern conference, I'd say. Um, and really being responsible in a big way for, uh, Elaine Nazardine having a, uh, not horrendous showing, but 
it's very clear that Blackwood was the main factor uh, behind oh, yeah. all those close games. So he needs to get paid. I, I mean, it's his second contract. So what are we looking ballpark wise? I'd say like three to four, something around there. That's probably in the ballpark. I mean, goaltenders are a very confusing bunch. It's one of those cases where if you bet big on a goaltender and he truly is your number one, one of the top goaltenders or even the top half of goaltenders in the NHL, then you get more than your money's worth, like without question. Mm -hmm. However, if that goaltender uh, suffers, if that goaltender you know, gets injured or hits a bad run of form, or you find out that those hot runs in the past were just that hot runs and not really uh, re- representative of what the goaltender would do in a normal situation, then you just wasted a lot of money and you could potentially lose your job over it. Are you, you telling know? me that some team can pay some goaltender $6 million a year to not win a game for an entire calendar year? Is that what you're telling me, John? I, I, I could be referencing that, Dan. I, I just might. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the, the, the more contemporary example outside of the organization that I was considering was Scott Darling in Carolina. Now, granted, mm. that's a different situation. He was a UFA. He was older, but he was coming off some, you know, what was perceived to be some great flashes of greatness. And since Carolina at the time, their goaltenders were terrible. And um, they decided to bet big on him. And um, that bet went south. And that's a big reason why one of the best five-on-five and analytically adept teams in the league are playoff bubble teams as opposed to being playoff contenders. So goaltending matters, and but there's still a lot of risk involved. That being said, if Blackwood comes out of this with, say, a three-year contract at four, about $4 million, you know, that's probably fair value. The risk with that would be that, you know, he becomes a UFA and then you have to start asking the larger question of, is this you going to be your guy going forward mm-hmm. or, and pay him potentially a lot more money to make sure he doesn't hit the market? Or do you figure, well, maybe he wasn't that good. We drafted some goalies or we signed some other goalies and we're going to go with that route instead. Yeah, um, it's not is, an easy decision. This is an interesting a, one because we don't know how the devil's first round is going to shake out. And again, like the, the main factor looming into this is that if they get all three picks that they're could get in terms of the plan results then it there is a strong possibility that they could look at Askarov but if they don't there probably isn't one so I think it very much depends on how many of those first rounders they end up getting with you know not it won't matter what the Blackwood contract looks like it'll just matter how much they're worried about the next one right and personally I don't think they would use even if they get all three three first rounders that they would get them on Askarov Mm -hmm. I don't think they would but who knows? I could be wrong. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, the few, how they view Blackwood long term beyond the next two, three seasons is a total question mark. Because right now, Blackwood, the guy we're talking about, has played exactly 70 games in the NHL. Amazingly, despite some really not awe-inspiring numbers in the AHL, his save percentage overall, you know, in 2018, 19, and 23 games, overall was 91.8%, which is really good. And last season, it was, it was at 91.5, which is really good considering the Devils that were bad. And Blackwood started the season off bad. So he basically rose himself up to be above average as, as an NHL goaltender in terms of overall save percentage. Mm-hmm. The rule of thumb is once you get to see 100 games or so with a goalie, you get a good feel on whether or not this guy's legit or not. All signs are pointing to Blackwood is legit, but there's still enough doubt there where you kind of want to hedge your bets. And that's why I think... Even a two-year deal would probably make more sense for the Devils and for Blackwood. So this way, 
you know, because he's 23 right now, you don't want to take him all the way to uh, right before UFA status mm-hmm. and, you know, risk whatever that could be. So this way you give yourself a little bit of a buffer. Blackwood goes out and it has the incentive to keep playing well, keep improving, keep working on his skills, keep working on his reflexes and all that good stuff. And all for a potential bigger payday tomorrow. And hopefully in two years, we'll have a better idea of what the devils, where the devils are as an organization, what their aims are and whether or not they have a number two or a number one, a, or anybody to push Blackwood or whether or not all their chips are going to be in the Blackwood basket. Mm -hmm. And that does seem like where it's headed. And on the other end of this discussion, you know, mentioning the other player that uh, we're pretty sure is going to be re-signed for a healthy amount it's Jesper Bratt, and he seemingly is improving a little bit each year. Like, you know, oh, yeah. there's, there's a sixth rounder, so anything you get has already found money. If that guy gets a point in the NHL, that's a big deal, but he's certainly gotten more uh, than his fair share recently. There was a stretch last season where he was just collecting them at a torrid pace. So Jesper Bratt is likely going to get a a pretty decent sized raise for his next contract, but oh, yeah. he has to be that dependable or he has to grow into that dependable uh, scorer or playmaker to play alongside these centers. Absolutely. And the good news is that over the last three seasons, and I've done this at, at all about the Jersey on Monday. So there's a big long post. If you want to read into the data, I'm just going to hit you with the highlights from that post is that for the last two seasons, Dan, Jesper Brat was producing over, 2.2 points per 60 minutes in five on five hockey. Now to put that in perspective, that's among the top 25% of all NHL forwards. Mm-hmm. Like now granted weren't, you know, he's not at that elite quote unquote level for like among the top 10% where you see your top scorers, like your, you know, like your Tarasenko's, your Stamkos's, your dry and so forth. But Brat's way ahead of a lot more people. And a big reason why you know, it doesn't come across that way is because he doesn't play a lot at five on five for some reason. You know, last season he averaged, or rather his rate of ice time was 11 minutes and 17 seconds per 60 minutes, which is below half of all NHL forwards. And yes, he was used on the power play, but he was on a secondary unit and he wasn't really doing much on the power play. Mm-hmm. So it's basically everything that he did was basically five on five, or other even strength situations, and occasionally he'll get a shoot-off move off that looks sweet when it actually works. But the point I'm trying to make is that this is a guy where, based on his production, it doesn't look that impressive considering he's never had 20 goals, he's never had 40 points. But the larger point is that if you hit those marks, you're way ahead of a lot of other forwards in this league. And if you just give him the minutes, he might hit those marks. And what's even better, Dan, is that over the last three seasons, when he takes a shift at five-on-five, He's actually grown to be one of the better Devils forwards. Now, the Devils were bad in five-on-five last season, but instead of his rookie season where whenever he stepped on the ice, the Devils were getting out-attempted, or rather they only took 46% of the shooting attempts when he was on the ice, that got bumped up to 48 this past season. It was the fourth best among Devils forwards. In terms of shots, Devils were heavily outshot by nearly four per 60 minutes, or rather three per 60 minutes uh, as a rookie. Now, it was nearly even last season of uh, scoring chances. Devils used to be outchanced. Now with Brat last season, they were outchancing the opposition by a little bit. So there's signs of growth here of Brat being a better five on five player in addition to being a producer. So all signs are pointing to this guy is due for a big breakout. And when he finally gets that 40, 50, 60 point plateau season, a lot of people are going to be like, whoa, where'd this come from? I'm going to be the one sitting here saying it's been germinating ever since his rookie season. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, moving from Brat to someone who does not have that type of potential, we have two uh, restricted free agents that have arbitration rights. And honestly, I don't know if they're going to get a huge fight on... <laughs> I, you no. know, I don't know if they're just going to get released because I don't think either of these players is... Well, let, let's get to it when we get to it. But John Hayden is an RFA with arbitration rights. He won't have to use them. I don't think they're going to be re-signing him. No, if, if there was a player I would not qualify, he's the player. John Hayden has provided no value to the Devils. I believe I wrote a post months ago claiming he's one of the worst Devil seasons of all time, or at least in recent memory, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they should let this guy walk. There's, there's, You can get Mike McLeod to just fill in and do nothing for less money, or a little more money, but at least he has potential. Mm -hmm. Aiden has no potential. He's... He's done. And if Hayden's go. gone, what do we feel about Mueller? I'm sighing because I need to be objective here. Uh -huh. Personally, I don't think Mueller – the Devils need to get away from the Mirko Muellers of the world. Like there's every free agent draft class – or I'm sorry, every free agent class, you know, there's always a whole lot of defensemen at Mueller's level where you can get them for a million to $2 million on a cap hit and – you, go, you throw him out there, he'll have a couple good games, he'll mostly be unremarkable, and at the end of the day, you just go, that's a whole lot of not much. And then you go out and repeat the cycle. Mm -hmm. um, yes, Mer Mercury Mueller occasionally will give you nice flashes, but for the most part, opponents love playing against Mirko Mueller. Opponents loved it when Mirko <laughs> Mueller was on the ice, and that's not what you want in any hockey player, much less a defenseman. So if it were up to me and me alone, I would not qualify him either. However... Given if you're going to let Clayson walk, you're going to let Mermis walk, and unless the Devils are planning to go heavy on free agency on defense, they may want to take Mueller and give him like a one-year contract just to say, look, we have another defenseman. He's a left-sided defenseman. The Devils don't have any other left-sided defenseman booked for next season except for Will Butcher. So at least you have a guy who can at least not complain if he's getting third-line minutes or becomes a healthy scratch. I, I think the Devils need to get away from this guy, but whereas you can replace Hayden pretty, pretty easily, you can't really replace Mueller so easily with the guys from Binghamton. Uh, you know, Ty Smith can easily replace Clayson and Mermis. Ball probably could as well, but it remains to be seen whether or not you want to let those two rookies take up a third of your blue line um, right away, unless you're just packing in the season from day one. Mm -hmm. And I forgot to ask you when we were on him, but you know, since Jesper Bratt is uh, very much in line for a new contract, what do you think the terms of that will look like? All right. So I went into this in the post here. It's in the devil's best interest to sign him to a long-term deal, similar to what Nico Heischer wanted. Not at Nico Heischer's money, mm -hmm. mind you, but if you can lock this guy up for five or six seasons at like, say 4 million, which is a bit of an overpay right now, but if you bank on this guy and believe on this guy being much better in the future, that could turn out to be a really good bargain. However, it's not in Jesper Bratt's interest to take a five or six year deal and eat into his UFA years. Since he started playing at 19, and he becomes a UFA at 26. Mm -hmm. So it's in his best interest to want to go for the quote unquote, the bridge deal, whereas he'll get a two or maybe three year contract of a more modest increase, maybe up to 3.2 million. I say 3.4 would be perfectly fair given what Zaka is getting, Miles Wood is getting, what uh, others in the league have received, like Kasperi Kapanen, and um, the other comparable that I used, who is Andre Burakovsky, mm -hmm. even though he was a couple years back. You know, I think 3.2 to 3.4 million as a, as a cost and a term of two seasons, I think, is going to be much more likely to happen. 
And this way, the Devils, you know, again, once they can figure out where they're going as an organization and if they bet big on Brat and Brat exceeds it, then they can pay him big money without him being entirely outside of his peak years yet. Mm-hmm. But And Mueller, I think, I, what does he get? Well, like I well, one year at what rate, though? Well, one year, maybe you give him a slight raise to 1.5 million. Like he made <laughs> 1.4 million last year. Actually, I take that back. He no, he did make a base 1.4 million last year. So if it takes an extra hundred or two hundred thousand dollars just to keep him happy, fine. As long as he's willing to only take a year. Okay, and uh, one last one is Joey Anderson, but he he is not eligible to be offer sheet. He doesn't have enough experience in the NHL. So he's a 10.2 RFA, meaning he didn't play enough games yet. I think the team has invested too much in him to let him or to cut him uh, because of this. So they'll give him some sort of qualifying offer. Oh yeah. And he's going to probably slot into a similar role that Rooney played. At a minimum, Joey Anderson can do what Kevin Rooney is doing right now. Mm -hmm. And, there is some hope that, you know, he could be more of a scorer. You know, you know, some Devil fans want to think he could be the next Jay Pandolfo. I think that's way too lofty of a standard <laughs> to put him up to. But, you know, the guy did make the NHL roster right out right out of college after he was signed in 2018 and played 34 games. He wasn't particularly great, but, you know, he made, he made it into the show right away. And uh, last season they gave him an extended call-up of 18 games – and uh, he definitely grew by leaps and bounds in Binghamton. The Binghamton folks, you know, Jeff and his panel seem to think Anderson's not going to come back to Binghamton, or if he does, it's not going to be for very long. Mm-hmm. And I could totally agree with that. I think Anderson's definitely one of these guys that, as you say, the Devils have invested quite a bit of time into. I think, um, depending on how Lindy Ruff and his coaching staff view him, um, you know, that'll determine whether or not he's really going to be on the fourth line right away maybe a third line role but he definitely should take an nhl spot very soon provided he doesn't have an awful camp or something in 2020 so yeah i think the devils will probably re-sign him to a fairly cheap you know maybe a two-year deal um just to say hey look you know we'll give you you know he was coming he's coming off a max elc contract so maybe a million a million and one one 1.1 million 1.2 million for the next two seasons call it a day and see what ha- see what you get out of him and then you can make your choices then so yeah and yeah i don't think i don't think he would get a big deal right no away. he's just gonna have to prove that he's better than nolan foot essentially he's better than nolan foot he's better than uh michael mcclaude he's better than uh nick merkley he's better than yanni kwakinen it's it's a bit of a competition but i think anderson has the advantage of having some nhl games in his uh back pocket whereas foot merkley kwakinen not so much yet mm-hmm all right, Camp so, is going to be interesting this year. I'll say that. Well, yeah. Okay. There's a lot to uh, to cover with that, but let's take a quick break as we move on to the ones that are eligible to be re-signed whose contracts are expiring next year. Uh, there's quite a few important names in here, so let's uh, step aside for a moment just to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Okay, we're back, and now that we've covered the players that could potentially not be on the roster as early as next year, we have a whole other class to address, and that's the players who uh, would be free agents in a year, so after 2021, or during the 2021-22 season, who will need or who are now eligible for new contracts after the uh, CBA. Usually you couldn't negotiate until you had the last class signed, but there you go. Things are weird this year, and they understand that. So for the Devils, that's quite a few players listed. Let's start with the lone restricted free agent in that category, and that's Michael McLeod, who you just said would be in competition with uh, one of our last participants, Joey Anderson. And McLeod has that same level of you know organizational investment. He's been around for a while, and they've let him uh, have ample opportunities both with the Devils and in Binghamton. So does he get a chance to finally prove himself, and is this his last chance to do so? He's basically getting into the John Coinville zone, where you basically look at him and go, if not now, then when? Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, the Devils see him more as a center. I honestly think they really should consider moving him to wing. He could play right wing. He is a right-handed shot. Um, but for whatever reason, the, org- the organization decided, nope, he's a center. Okay, fine. He plays center. That's fair. But, you know, he wasn't really super impressive in Binghamton. And in his limited time in New Jersey, they gave him plenty of games, plenty of appearances, but not a lot of minutes, and understandably so, because he wasn't providing a lot of help off the puck, and he certainly wasn't providing a whole lot on the puck. I, I, I fear that the former first-round pick of the 2016 draft, you know, may be busting before our very eyes here. Mm-hmm. So this next, the next two seasons, I would say, are really important to him. The Devils are not going to give him a contract extension. Like, there's no reason to do so. But, you know, he needs to play real well and show a lot of improvement real soon so he can get that second contract if not from new jersey then from somebody else he's someone who i see lindy ruff having a pretty positive influence on just in the style that um allegedly lindy ruff likes to play it more matches mcleod's you know tendency to keep his head down and just go forward without any real plan uh just like miles would so i, I i'm interested to see how ruff develops McLeod specifically because his whole selling point uh, in juniors was that he was quick, was that he was a speedy player and he Mm -hmm. thought pretty quickly. So let's see how he fits into a system that doesn't emphasize, uh, allegedly emphasize sitting in your own zone for 70% of the game. Well, that also means he needs to do a better, and I mean, he being McLeod needs to do a better job of getting the puck out of your zone to stop being there 70% of the time. Like it's, it's a two way street here, For sure, but yeah, yeah, but no, McLeod's not going to get extended. You know, he he's got to prove it, mm-hmm. and that's 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 fair. He's come, he's on an ELC still, so there's no real rush for it. The Devils have he doesn't get arbitration rights after his contract ends, so yeah, so he's safe. He he's not in any danger of being offer sheeted either when the time comes. But the players that we're more concerned with for this category of contracts expiring next year, let's start with two of the newer Devils in um, Nikita Gusev. I want to start with him first because. Mm-hmm. His season did not start – it started about as poorly as you can expect a player transitioning from another league to uh, experience. And as the season picked up, he slowly and surely grew into someone who resembled more of a team MVP. And this is someone who the very popular presence in the locker room – this is someone who is – he has all the skill in the world. He just had to get used to the NHL level of play, yeah. and he looks great now that he's more acclimated. 
Yes, and I'm glad you used that word because acclimation was the main reason why he had that awful first month in the season. But once he finally got used to how the NHL worked, how the Devils worked, how the systems worked, how the pace of the game went, the smaller ranks, um, you know, he took to it like a goose did took to water, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Good one. So, <laughs> thank you. Now, the concern here is, one, would Gusev want to stay? Because I imagine that when, you know, he was, you know, the Devils traded for him, Ray Sherrod traded picks for, for him to get come to Vegas and then sign him to a two-year deal. Mm-hmm. At fairly good money, you know, $4.5 million, uh cap hit. So... We, we know that he's worth that much money now. I think that's – I don't think anybody would say he's not worth the money now. I think that's fair. The bigger question is now that Gusev is, knows that the Devils may not be going anywhere anytime soon, would he want to stay for more years? Now, he might. He might say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm into this. I'm into the team culture. I'm, I'm happy they took a chance on me. You know, Vegas didn't want to take a chance on me. New Jersey did. You know, and if they pay me enough money, I'll stay. But – um you know, that's really the first question I have with Gusev. Is it's not so much should the Devils extend him, but more so does Goose would Gusev want an extension? Yeah, and we saw his buddy Artemi Panarin be part of a historic upset in the playoffs uh, as part of that Columbus team that swept the Tampa Bay Lightning. And apparently, you know, Panarin's dream was always to play for the New York Rangers for some reason. So I'm wondering if Gusev is harboring any such dreams. But as a member of the Devils, you know, he's obviously beloved. And I think they are very interested in extending him for longer because he could be that compliment that the centers have been looking for. He's not the fastest player, but he can make plays and he can really find these creative, speedy guys. Yeah, and with Taylor Hall gone, he's, for for better or for worse, the team's top left winger. Mm-hmm. Like, he's easily the most skilled. He's easily the most talented. You can make a case that he's the, maybe the most skilled right now among all the forwards, like in terms of just pure skill. Mm-hmm. Granted, Brat, Hughes, and Heischer will get past him in the near future. But Gusev is the goods right now. And if he's willing to take, like, a small extension, like, say, three years – and maybe like to up to six million per capita because you do have to you know pay the man. Mm-hmm. You got to give you got to respect the money here. You know it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. My you know the thing is he's 28. Like he's not a super young guy either. He doesn't have NHL miles on his body, but he's got miles on the body. Mm-hmm. And if he's already not that fast of a player, I don't know if I want to see how Gusev would be effective if he was even slower and uh, not as mobile. So it would be a bit of a risk, but. Absent any other left wingers in the system that could be a top player right away, you know, you may need to the Devils may need to do so. It just goes back to the original question I raised, which is, does Gusev want to do that? And if if I were him, I'm not I'm not saying anything until 2021. Like, I'm not even dropping a hint. Mm-hmm. So the Taylor Hall route. Well, it's a word with a lot of pending UFAs. Oh, yeah, you know, but like very I mean, Connor Carrick is probably going to do the same thing, too. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, so let's go to Carrick then, because he's the second newest devil who qualifies uh, under this yeah. type of stipulation. And his argument, if it was happening this year, could be pretty similar to Mueller's. But it's happening next year where the devils might have more of an idea of who they want on their defensive roster or not. Yeah, I mean, he's 26 years old. Like, so, you know, age is a bit on his side here. You know, the Devils acquired him from the Ben Lovejoy trade when they basically sold him off at the trade deadline. And I was happy they got Carrick because, hey, how many how often do you get an NHL player in return for, uh, a, you know, a dump? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't happen. And Carrick looked pretty good in, in those uh, in those few weeks 
with the Devils at the end of that 2018-2019 season. But this past season, he was downright unimpressive. And I'm not convinced he can really do that much more. Like, he's pretty much the definition of, this is a third-pairing guy. But is he that much better than Matt Tennyson? Is he that much better than, say, what Kevin Ball or Ty Smith could bring to the table? I question that, Dan. I'm saying it right now. I question it. Mm -hmm. I doubt that Carrick is that much better than those guys. So, you know, similar to Gusev, but not similar in that while the Devils should look to keep Gusev, I think the Devils should start looking elsewhere for Carrick. You know, let him play out the next season. He's already signed for next season. If he's not that good or, you know, your team isn't that good, you know, you can try selling him off at the deadline for like a fifth rounder or something, you know, some low stakes, but something. And, you know, go out and sign a defenseman of his quality that are almost always available every free agent year. So, you know, that's how I see it. I don't think I don't think Carrick is worth extending. And I don't think the devil should go out and do it, even though Carrick would probably be very receptive to one. Yeah, you don't want to uh, keep his media empire around anymore. No, no, no. He's not. He's not paid to be media. He's paid to play hockey. <laughs> just, uh, just checking. Just making sure we're keeping the personalities yeah. in line here. And so let's go to the older Devils who qualify for this type of extension. It's two names that one name that was tossed around extensively at this last trade deadline, and that's Kyle Palmieri. And one yes. name that's been a Devil longer than anybody else on this list. It's Travis Zajac. So let's start with Palmieri and move to Zajac. The pride of Montvale, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. This is a tough decision for Tom Fitzgerald because he is 29 years old right now. And guys that turn 30, that's when things start going awry, you know, because by that point, your your body is not as resilient and as youthful and energetic as it once was. Most of the league knows what who you're about, what you're about, how to play against you. That being said, though, Dan, the Devils don't really have a guy ready to take Palmieri's spot, spot right now. Like, mm -hmm. he's basically, just like how I said Gusev is effectively the team's best left winger, Palmieri is effectively the team's best right winger. Now, Bratt may take that over in a couple years, and we hope he does, but that's why this is such a challenge, because if you take Palmer, if you don't extend Palmieri, he probably walks in 2021, signs a fat deal with, like, I don't know, Buffalo. I'll, I'll just throw a random name out there. I, I don't think Buffalo would, but just as a random point. And then you're sitting there going, do we have a guy to fill in Palmieri's spot? The Devils don't really have that shooting winger that, uh, you know, will shoot at the volume and finish off the plays from the Heishers and the Hughes and the Brats of the team. And the Goosets for that matter as well, if they want to go down that route. Now, it's true that Brat could grow and shoot, a little, shoot the puck a little more. It's possible Nolan Foote could be the goods in a couple of years. It's possible Kwakinen could provide that down the center or on the left wing. And it's possible the Devils could draft a guy who could do what Palmieri does in Alexander Holtz or Cole Perfetti in a couple months. But those guys are not going to be ready when Palmieri becomes a free agent. Right. And that's, that's why it's such a challenge here. So it's basically, do you keep a guy that the Devils fans have fallen in love with? He's a local boy. He's done a lot of great things for the Devils. He's basically their most, one of the most prolific shooters He's the guy that you could have a run a set play with on a power play. He can finish plays, um, provided his health is good. He's He's got 30 goal potential. But the question is, do you hope he still has a lot of gas in that tank and his body will keep holding up and therefore risk risk uh, him fading badly as he turns 34 and 35? 
with an extension? Or do you say he's not going to be that good in the future and then you're left with a larger roster problem um, in, in, in 2021? I, I don't I don't I don't envy the decision to be made here. No, but envy. Palmieri very much fits into that secondary aspect of what Fitzgerald said he was looking for. Like if you're looking to sign um, veteran leaders that help transition the team from one iteration to another, he is someone who qualifies for so many reasons. And, you know, the, a lot of which have to do with off ice stuff. But he's representative of New Jersey. He's the only player from the state on the team. He's someone who runs a military ball every year. He's a, he's a big leadership uh, presence and someone who's familiar with a lot of these younger players already. So they don't have to ex- really look outside the organization to fill that veteran aspect that Fitzgerald seems to be looking for. So I, I think if there was an aspect that made Palmieri even more attractive, and he could potentially even be the next captain, um, just depending on what Ruff wants to do. I think, yeah, if the length is right, he's he's definitely worth it. It's Zajac that I think there's more of an issue with, and he also fits that leadership mold, but he does have six years on Palmieri, and he doesn't score all that much. No, as nice as Zajac looked at times last season, he's he's exactly what I'm concerned about with guys like Gusev and Palmieri is that, you know, as you get older, your game just declines. Like that's not an ageist point of view. That's just reality. You know, this is a physical sport and time always wins that battle. Father time is undefeated. And Zajac is a great representation of, you know, for all the nice things and the spots and the fact he can play in all situations is nice. But the level of play, the quality of play is just not there anymore. And that's why, you know, the Devils hit big when they got Nico Heischer because he's your top line center. They're hopeful that Hughes will grow into being a top center. There's still some hope that Zaka could at least handle a bottom six role. So effectively, you know, the Devils have their future set at center. And, you know, that's not even including guys like McLeod or Kwakadin or you know, Bokvist, the guys who could play center at the next level. They may not, but they could. You know, they have the quantity there. And, you know, look, Zajac's one of my favorite Devils, Dan. So it, it, it I, I get no joy out of saying this, but this is a guy that you just walk into the sunset at this point. Right. <laughs> you, know, you know, there's no value to give him an extension beyond age 36, even at a really low contract. Like I get it, you know. There's va- you know, he's been, he's a lifelong devil so far. He's he's been he's been where he's been with the team when they were very good. He's been with the team through the bad times, the current bad times as well. You know, he's had a full career, but you know, I think after 2021, I would rather just let him walk and let him call his shot wherever he wants to go. If he wants to go to Winnipeg, he can go to Winnipeg. If he wants to go to uh, quote unquote, a winning team like Colorado, which I think will still be a winning team in two years. Um, go for it, you know, shoot your shot, man. But his his service as a devil is unquestionably very good. But there's no value to his his value as a player is decreasing. And I think by the time 2021 rolls around, you're not gonna you're you're gonna be looking elsewhere. Yeah, and we'd be having the same discussion about Andy Green if he was still on the team. It's that same yes. thing of like, thank you for your service, time to walk you into the sunset. And they kind of made that decision for themselves when they moved him at the deadline. So, Zajac... Yeah, and credit to, yeah, credit to Green, Green for waiving the no-trade clause. He could have blocked the deal. Like Zajac. Yeah. <laughs> Who also had interest from the same team that Green was shipped to, but um, he didn't want to 
leave his life in New Jersey, which obviously no one blames him for. New Jersey's pretty great, but yeah, uh, it doesn't make sense from the team's perspective anymore just because that position's very well covered moving forward. And even though these players might not have necessarily filled out their potential at center yet, the goal is to get them to do that. And the only way to do that is by giving them the playing time that a 35-year-old currently takes up. Correct. All right, so that kind of takes us to the end of the eligible um, extensions for the Devils at this moment in time. Obviously, there's a lot of different contracts to talk about the year after, but we won't get there yet. That's way too far out, and we have no idea what the team is even going to look like moving into these years. But yeah, there's some clear, obvious choices to bring back in terms of moving the team to its next version, and there's some potentially difficult decisions with some of the older players that uh, Fitzgerald will now make with uh, full authority. And really, he's been making with full authority since January, but now he'll have full official authority. Exactly. There won't be any questions of, well, are you going to be the GM in three months? Yeah. Nope. He's presumably going to be the GM for the next three months. <laughs> yeah, and the players know exactly who they'd be dealing with. They know who they're negotiating with. So it, it, it takes on a little bit of a different character. And they also know theoretically which coach they'll be playing for i don't think you know no matter what the situation the devils give up on a veteran coach like rough within a year um but who knows who knows how the chips will fall in that realm yep every every summer the devil's got to do something interesting which is great for us it's Mm -hmm. great to talk about it's great for podcasts it's great for hockey blogs but as a fan it's almost like can we not have some major shifts, not have a major shift in July, in August? Or if you're going to have one, have a, you know, an unquestionably positive one. Then again, we thought we had that in 2019 and then 2019 happened. Yeah. So, well, I'm, maybe I I'm, should just stop talking about it. When we're talking about the team <laughs> contracts too, keep in mind that there's a lot of uh, RFAs and UFAs on the Binghamton level as well. I didn't want to yeah. dive into all of those because the system's just so unclear that it's almost not even worth talking about until we see who they draft. Uh, it's also to, unclear if the AHL is going to even return. That's true, too. And then all these player contracts will go elsewhere. I that's don't a, know. That's, <laughs> that's a big concern. Like, you know, and I know Binghamton re-signed Ryan Schmelzer, which is, you know, I guess a positive sign that they intend to do something next season, because why would Ryan Schmelzer with a brand new child sign a contract for a team that may not be performing? But at the same time, you know, I understand for European players, they already uh, loaned out Sharon Govich to the KHL. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's just going to be limited to the European-based players or players who have their rights owned by a European team. Like, you know, as mentioned, Schmelzer probably isn't going to be loaned out. But somebody like Studenich might, you know, uh, Maltsev might. I think also. Oh, okay. So I take it back. They can loan out. Uh, as long as a European team owns their rights, I guess, is, is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Not so much... Not so much whether or not they're European-based or not. I stand corrected. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's going to be very concerning. And it's not just for the guys in Binghamton. It's also for players who are near the end of their junior or college careers right now. Like, take Riley Walsh, for example. You know, his Harvard season was cut out at the end of, you know, at the end of uh, March. Mm-hmm. You know, they shut everything down. And then the Ivy Leagues, of which, you know, Riley Walsh is a part of, they said there's going to be no fall sports. Now, granted, hockey runs from the end of fall into spring, so it's a question of whether or not is there going to be winter sports for Harvard or the Ivy Leagues. That's a big question. But, um, you know, my concern is, you know, 
these got you know with young players you just got to get them playing somewhere you know don't just sit on the on on a bench somewhere go out and play mm-hmm. so i don't know i don't know what the backup plan is or if there will be one maybe they may just say look there's no ahl there's no college there's no you know juniors who knows then there just isn't go work out mm-hmm. off ice yeah they and have to like, now what they have to pretty much be prepared to play anywhere and for anyone at this point because i don't know how you know how much we know the cap is staying flat so the nhl contract situation isn't going to change all that much from what it was like if they're looking for wiggle room in that they're not going to get it but we'll we'll see how that's all resolved there's probably plenty of news to wait for on that front to see if the ahl can keep going or can restart to a degree that it was at previously exactly and like with everything else we will just have to wait and see Mm mm-hmm all right, so that brings us to the end of this discussion. We have, like we said, a couple of names that are worth bringing back, a couple of names that the devil should probably look past moving forward. But in exciting news, also while we record this, it looks like the Coyotes and Taylor Hall have re-engaged in contract talks, which means that the potential uh, third-round pick that the Devils have um, in 2021 could become a first if he re-signs and the Coyotes win a playoff round this year. So we're both rooting against the Coyotes and for the Coyotes simultaneously, and it's strange. I don't know how they're going to do that, Dan. I, they're going to have to get creative somehow, and it somebody somebody's leaving the organization real soon if that happens. Oh yeah, and that's a big old. And when of... I say somebody, I mean like a lot of people, because dear goodness, John Chaka does not know how to manage a cap. <laughs> well, that all being said, he can always uh, get rid of Hosta's contract again. Nope, he's not on the books anymore. Oh, he's gone already. They already he's moved off. him. No, oh no, I take it back. I take it back. He's on the books for one more season. Oh, there you after go. This. <laughs> I stand corrected. But even with the relief, Dan, even with the relief, they have a whopping one point five million dollars of cap space projected for next season. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, listen, the negotiation is not the devil's problem. I'm just here exactly. to report that the pick could potentially change if he does resign and they win a playoff round, so It's all very confusing to that end. We'll talk about that some later point, but that's been it for this episode. Thank you for joining us, and as always, let's go Devils, and we'll see you next time.